gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And today we're going to do, I kind of think it's a fun episode to do this one, um, something a little bit different. We're going to talk about common scriptures that are taken out of context. And we got a lot of ideas from these because Rachel put in the group, you know, what are some common verses that are taken out of context? And um, partly based on a meme about that that I'm going to include in the episode notes just because it's fun to have a meme for things like this. So I think everyone knows that how many scriptures get taken out of context. And I've, we've talked before about interpreting scripture and hermeneutics and things like that. Um, and you don't just take a verse all by itself and say, okay, that must be what it means all by itself. But we look at verses in context. We consider um, correct interpretation and, and so on. But even so, a lot of things get taken out of context. I may have told this story before, but it fits in with this episode. Uh, when I first started having health problems, someone wrote up a verse of scriptures out of context, basically kind of the word of faith type ones um, that get mm -hmm. used. You know, if I would just have enough faith, I would be healed um, with a little note that I should, if I had enough faith, I'd be healed. I ended up talking to the person who did it and she realize that, it, you know, those verses were taken out of context. But a lot of times people do use verses out of out of context. So you'll probably hear some here that you've heard uh, misused before. And we've put them into different categories because some of them do fit really into specific categories. And I think prosperity gospel and word of faith is a big one. They They do a lot of misuse. In fact, we've had a lot of girls in our group that will come in that came out of that and, you know, we'll be trying to understand some scriptures that they were taught. 
uh, a wrong interpretation of. One, you talk about the, how, how important context is, you know, those um, inspirational calendars or little like um, daily Bible verse things that people have, right? It's a little verse, a little encouragement. I have one on my, uh, on my desk, but I saw one and the quote was from Matthew 4, 9, and it was, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And that was the inspirational quote. And, you know, I, when I saw this passed around underneath it, it says, it's less inspirational if you know who said it. Um, because, right? of course, the context there is that's what Satan right. says to Jesus, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's not a promise from Scripture of what God says to us if we do, you know, it's not that. But, um, yeah, so when you do see these verses sometimes or people pass around these, like, when you're sick or whatever, uh, it is important to go in and, and look at the Scripture and see what the context is going on in the passage and whether or not it really applies. I'll tell an old joke first. Um the guy who wanted some advice from scripture. And so he flipped the Bible open, you know, trying to figure out what he should do with his life. And he points to a verse. And by the way, I don't recommend doing this. Points to a verse. And it says, and Judas went out and killed himself. He's like, oh, no, that can't be right. So he goes, I'm uh, going to do it again, see what else it tells me. So he flips it open again, points to a verse, and it says, uh, go and do likewise. It's like, okay, that can't be right. One more time. So he flips it open and he points to a verse and it says, that which you do, do quickly. <laughs> it's a very old joke. I was just thinking about yeah, that but, joke this morning. <laughs> I know, but it really does. Right. It really does um, make an important so point. So when you're looking at prosperity gospel, word of faith, I'm not as familiar with word of faith as a movement. Um, I am very familiar with various prosperity gospels and how scripture is taken to be you know, if you do these things right, then God will bless you. Um, maybe, Colleen, do you, can you explain a little bit about what Word of Faith is? It's essentially what what you just said. It's kind of if you have enough faith. If um, you know, sometimes I would watch. I don't. I don't even know if it's around anymore. But it was Trinity Broadcasting Network back in the day. You know, and and it was really if you have enough faith, then God will do these things. And almost to me almost like a new age thing, you know, it's, they'll have, you know, like with the prosperity gospel aspect, the name it and claim it is really just like a vision board that you see in, um, some of the, some new age circles, you know, you picture this thing and it'll come about, but it's basically taking that idea, the prosperity gospel part, but, um, but word of faith, it, it really applies to having enough faith, and, and these things will happen. So if you're sick, just like I was talking about before, if you have enough faith that God will heal you, then he will heal you. It really, the burden is on you. And the sad thing is, is that then you can look at somebody who's sick and it's not God's fault. It's their fault because they didn't have enough faith uh, that God could do it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense then for some of the verses that some of the women in the list, in the group mentioned. Um, like this first one that we have on the list, Romans 4.17, um, it's the end of the verse, I think, that gets used. It says, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. It's that idea of you can call into being the thing that you mm -hmm. want to have happen by naming it. Okay. Um, it, yep. it, it's very interesting yep. because, of course, that's not what the verse is about. Right? You know, yes, of course. Um, God is the one who gives life to the dead, and he is the one who calls into being that which does not exist. And it's a reference to creation, 
there. Um, you know, it's it's fascinating because this is speaking to God and His power and His might and His um, His sovereignty. Right? It is not at all a promise that's given to us that if we if we make this, we can call something into being by having enough faith that that it will happen. Right. Where where they use it more in this name it and claim it and. This is, it, it makes me think too, when we were in the Nuthetic Counseling episode, when we were talking about how there's almost a, a, you know, word of faith aspect to it. If you just have enough faith, if you just do these things, then God will heal you of your anxiety, depression, and whatnot. Well, and, you know, this, this passage, uh, if you read on in Romans 4, it's talking about Abraham and how God promised to have a nation through him, through Abraham, even though, it talks about how Abraham's body and his wife Sarah's that their reproductive abilities were as good as dead, right? And that God could bring about something from the impossible, right? And just like that, He also raised Jesus from the dead, and He will raise us from the dead. You know, it's it's a great promise as long as you use the actual promise that's there. I think an, another thing too within some of the I think New Apostolic Reformation circles and. Um, they uh, have this seven mountains belief, and it's very much, it's, there are some similarities. It's, it's a sort of dominionism. Mm-hmm. I was going to say some similarities to some things we see in reform circles, but it's a sort of dominionism type uh, theology. And, and of course, then some people apply it to the United States and right. all kinds of stuff. Which we'll get to. <laughs> um so another one in that same vein is James 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask, um, which I think is also used that, you know, if, if you don't have healing of something, it's because you haven't asked with the right amount of faith. Right. Um, if you don't have uh, the job or the money to, to take care of, you know, provide, it's because you haven't asked with the right faith. Yeah, that's the The context of the passage is talking about um, why there are quarrels and conflicts in the church community and within people. It's because you want things that you don't have, and so you fight and quarrel. And James says you don't have because you do not ask. You, do, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Right? And so, you know, it, it's not a promise here that God will... Um, give you, it's not, you know, God is a genie where you ask for the things and God provides because you, you've perfected the formula to get the right thing from him. Um, but it is a, a reminder that God is the one who provides for us. And it's also a reminder and a caution that what we're asking for should be things that are consistent with who he is as God and his character and how he would provide for us. Yeah, that one kind of fits with the Psalm 37, 4, mm-hmm. too. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I remember, you know, some people when I was a teenager, yes, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to give you whatever your heart desires. Hey, I, I think I was one of the many teenage girls praying this for a husband. Right? <laughs> yes. Which is not a bad yep, thing. He's going to give it right? to it's you. It's not a bad right? thing to pray right. for a husband, right? If that's what... You feel led to pray for, right? And it certainly is a blessing when he sends one. But um, 
Yeah, that's not the point of the verse. But just because you desire one and you're delighting yourself in the Lord does not mean that God automatically gives you everything you desire. Right, and it doesn't mean, it also doesn't mean that if he hasn't given it to you, it's because you haven't delighted yourself in him enough. Right. That's that's not how that works. When you When you're delighting yourself in the Lord, your desires will more and more align, when we think about sanctification even, will more and more align with with the Lord's. You know, it reminds me, it's of the big, I'm completely drawing a blank, when it was a big deal about the prayer of Jabez. I was trying to think of the... Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm remembering when the prayer of Jabez was the new big thing. Like, it was on all, there were books, there were study studies for it, there were, um, you know, artwork to hang in shirts, your ha- in your house, yes, yeah. shirts, all these things with the prayer of Jabez. And, of course, the prayer of Jabez comes out of First Chronicles 4, verse 10. It says, Now Jabez called on the, the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, that it might not pain me. And God granted him what he requested. And so there's all of these, if you just pray this prayer exactly as he prayed it, and mean what he meant, then you know God will do these things for you. And it was... I mean, it was everywhere for quite a while. Everywhere. And it, it's, it, it doesn't mean that, right? It, it's not a promise given to all of us that if we say these words, just as Jabez said, you know, again, God is not the cosmic genie. And if we put the request in the right way, out pops the, the thing we want. In context, this is an example of a man who had great faith in the Lord and God chose to bless him in this way. That's it. <laughs> You know, Scripture also talks about trials and suffering, mm-hmm. and not not a one of us wishes for no. those, okay? But the Lord, in through Scripture, we learn that there are many purposes, good purposes, ways the Lord works through those things. And, you know, we've even talked, I know this doesn't fully fit in, I'm not giving a specific verse, but... Um, there, there are verses used to try to argue that all sickness and trials and suffering are punishment for sin. Right. And sometimes it's just in the Lord's greater purposes. And that's where, you know, the, the heart of prosperity gospel comes out, right? That if we do the right things, then God will bless us. And if we're, as long as we're doing the right things, then God will never send us anything difficult. And we're simply not promised that. Right. And almost bless us according to how we think we should be blessed. Where the Lord often blesses us in unexpected ways um, because of his love for us. Um, like working in us through our trials and suffering. That is a blessing. Giving us joy and peace through difficult times. Those are blessings. You know, the, the passage in the New Testament where... Um, you know, Jesus says, you know, which one of you fathers, if your child asks for a for bread, would give him a stone or ask for an mm-hmm. egg and you'd give him a scorpion, right? Or a snake. Um, I'm probably misquoting there, but that's the gist. Um, and, you know, the, the point being that God is a good father and he gives good gifts, right? But I do remember um, in, in college, one of my, one of the, the talks our campus minister gave, and he was talking about that passage, and he said, you know, sometimes, as as children of God, we are asking for a stone, or we are asking for a serpent, or, you know, that 
we're asking for things that would be bad for us, even though we don't know they would be, right? Uh, like children who want something and we say, no, you can't yeah. have that because it's not good for you. Um, and God is a good father and he doesn't give us exactly what we ask for when it wouldn't be good for us. Or Right. You know, this, the same way we don't with our own children. Right. Candy for dinner, you might want, <laughs> but it's not <laughs> healthy for it's you. Chocolate cake for breakfast. Is sometimes appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Last day at the beach house when we have to clean up, everything that's left gets eaten. It can be ice cream and cake for breakfast. My kids it, talk about it every time we do it because it's not very often. And they're like, oh, that time we had ice cream for breakfast. Yeah. And those those are fun things. You wouldn't serve your kids ice cream for breakfast no. <laughs> every day. But sometimes it's just... If I make a raspberry cake mm. and raspberries are, you know, I raspberries for breakfast. So. Sure. It's like breakfast. There's eggs and butter. How and is flour. it different from a donut or pastry? I mean, this is, I have thought this. <laughs> I've thought this before. Oh dear. I'm going to get parents in trouble. Kids, if you're listening, do not blame your parents. Yeah, we have to do a parental <laughs> um, warning. <laughs> um, Another one, it's, and again, this is one that I was not familiar with along these same lines, um, or familiar with this usage along the same lines of the word of faith, it comes from Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks within himself, so he is, right? And the yeah. idea is, um, you know, if you think the right things about yourself, then the good things will happen. And if bad things are happening, it's because you're thinking the wrong things. Right. And whether it's illness, well, you're thinking of yourself as a sick person. That's why. If you just sick. thought of yourself or, as well. Like, that's right. how that works. Or, or even you're thinking of yourself as a poor person. That's why you're not flourishing financially. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not flourishing financially because you're not getting a job, though. <laughs> not because you're not thinking. Or maybe because, yeah, maybe because this is the, the, the trial and season of your life. Right. That this is. Right. God wants you Things to trust. Things are hard right now for people. Mm-hmm. Yep, that are just um, within God's sovereignty, and and we have it really is exercise in trusting the Lord. Did you know that uh, people use First Peter two twenty four that by His wounds you were healed to say that you should be healed of all illnesses? Yes, I have heard this. I okay. So when I used to, this is like in my probably late teens, early twenties, where I would sometimes turn on Trinity Broadcasting Network just to see what kind of crazy they were saying. But, so this is the kind of crazy teenager I was. We Like my friends and I would watch it and we'd critique. Mm. And that is one we heard. You know, they would pray for healing because by his wounds you are healed. And this, and I remember very specifically, it may have been Benny Hinn, um, doing a little message that this meant that it is God's will for you to be healed. This verse right here. I mean, I can believe it, right? Because I know what kind of stuff we're talking about, but it it is baffling to me. Because, I mean, for some of these, you're not just even taking a verse out of context. You're taking a passage from a verse to say it's saying this other thing or claiming it in this way. But, you know, you call him once you answer this. What's going on in this passage? What is he talking about that by his wounds we are healed? This is a good good way to demonstrate why it's important uh, that you look at a whole passage. And I would even say when you're looking at verses like this, it's even good to look at the whole mm. book. Um, so what it says is, for you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example 
for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. By the way, I do want to say even that right mm-hmm. there, um, that verse 22 is used by Wesleyans, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. This actual whole passage, because I went to Wesleyan, um, Arminian, uh, Wesleyan Holiness Bible College, was used actually even differently than the word of faith, which I'll talk about in a minute. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So the healing that it's talking about is being healed spiritually because of Christ's death on the cross for us. That's what's being talked about. Not that you're going to get physical um, healing. And some people will even use this passage right here to to argue that you not being healed is because you are not following what comes before. Um, you're supposed to be an example, that Christ is an example to you who committed no sin. Therefore, if you were sinless, then you would be healed. I know it's crazy. Maybe you haven't heard this, but I have. Um, and that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness. This is also used by uh, Wesleyans. And for those that don't know, uh, Wesleyans, true Wesleyans believe in a, you, you're saved. And then there's kind of a second blessing called entire sanctification, where now you no longer sin. So that's, you can even take this one passage and as an example of different ways that people use it really out of context. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. And what's particularly interesting, uh, you know, our, our pastor has been preaching through first Peter and the series has been really helpful about, you know, we talked about what the book as a whole is about. Right. And you know, the book is about how, how Christians should live in a hostile world. Right. And so even at the beginning of this, uh, as you're leading into this passage, it's talking about suffering because you're a Christian and that Christ is our example then in suffering. And so by his stripes we are healed is not a promise we're not going to suffer. It's just that we are, our sins have been forgiven. Right. Yes. And, we are his and we can live like he did or try to, right? Try to live as he did in the world in the sense of not sinning against others, right? Not uh, reviling others while they're suffering, while you're, while people are causing you to suffer, not threatening, but responding graciously to the world around us. And, you know, that's, it's very different contextually than saying either. Um, that we can expect a lifetime of uh, sinless perfection, or that um, if we do things just right and trust the Lord right, then everything about us will be healed. Spiritual condition is healed because of Christ's death on the cross, but that is not a promise that um, physically, we, we live in a fallen world where disease happens. Um, I know that some people will say, well, sometimes... You know, there are things that are a matter of, of discipline. And of, of course, that is true. When I, whenever I see this passage, I go back to my, my Bible college mm. days of, of being taught. It was, they, they almost tied it. I don't think Word of Faith does this so much, but in the Wesleyan circles, they almost tied it to, um, you know, if you live a righteous life, then you will be healed physically and, you know, and they use this to just or to teach this among some other verses to teach sinless perfection. You know, it's interesting because we do have a promise 
of ultimate healing, right? We do have a pro- promise that death will be done away with, that um, our bodies will be healed, that all the things that are are sad and difficult and painful about this life will will be undone, right? Will be done away with. But it, that's a promise for Christ's second coming. That's a promise for you know the new heaven and the new earth. That's a promise for glory. And you know the 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 term that gets used. It's you know like using big theology words here, but overrealized eschatology, right? Which is yes, bringing those promises from from the future, the things that are going to happen when Christ returns returns, and trying to bring them and saying we should all have that right now. And, you know, that like sinless perfection, all of those are things that we do have a hope for. We're looking forward to it. And I look forward to the day when all of us are healed of the things that we're suffering from. Because uh, all of us, you know, it's one of the great things that aging will teach us. Um, <laughs> suffering is part of life. And all of that will be done away with, but not yet. Yes. That, and that, that actually is our hope when we are suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, that because of Christ, and and very encouraging. Now, now, Rachel, I don't. I know this fits into the same sort mm-hmm. of thing. I, I know I'm a little bit older than you, um, but do you remember from your growing up all of the spiritual warfare books? The first oh yeah, Peretti. I read Pretty. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember, okay, so did I. <laughs> Matt did too. Yeah, um, I read a lot of those. Second Corinthians ten four for the weapon of our warfare, not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And there, there are several verses that talk about spiritual warfare. Almost like the overrealized eschatology is almost like an overrealized spiritual mm. realm where everything became about that. When I was a teenager, is when Frank Peretti got very big. If you don't know who he is, um, I think the first book may have been called "This Present." Darkness. I think that's the right one. And. Everything was about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is a thing we see about it in scripture, but if everything almost to a point where we controlled, I don't know how to explain it's it. Like the, it's like the demon under every rock, right? Like that idea that, that yes. everything, and it is absolutely true that there is spiritual warfare. It is absolutely true that our, our real enemy and as, as Christians, it's not other people, but the evil one, right? This is true. There is a real spiritual reality to, um, you know, the, the the kingdom is a spiritual realm, right, At the, for us. And so, um, all those things are true, but it is not true that if I go out and try to start my car, and my car won't start, and my tire is flat, that does not necessarily mean demon. right that there is a gremlin <laughs> a car demon who's out to get me. Although, you know, there are times when it sure feels like something is out to get you today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, we just, I think we have to be um, measured in how we talk about it. Uh, I, I did hear a pastor who's, he was in a reformed church saying that he didn't believe in that the bible teaches spiritual warfare i remember looking at him like but how do you get around some of those verses that right so we have to recognize there is a real thing but it's not the the everything now it makes a great novel right the the pretty novels are fascinating i like fantasy (laughs) but um not recommending them particularly but you know books are interesting to read but i wouldn't take my theology from it 
Yeah, and the way it kind of played out, because this, it became very popular when I was in youth mm-hmm. group. And so there was a lot of where almost everything was seen, just literally almost everything. Well, and you'll even see the word of faith people kind of, you know, I bind the demon of right. whatever, right. you yes. know, um, that, you know, the hurricane, it's from the, I mean, they don't say hurricane demon, but you get this sort of thing. You're sick. It's it's some attack from the demon or any struggle becomes this. I mean, any struggle you could have in life becomes this um, overemphasized spiritual realm problem. Yes. So I think measured is a good way to describe how we need to think about that. Another one that someone mentioned in the same vein is Proverbs 18.21. Uh, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Again, meaning that you can bring about things by what you say. Um, and I have seen this uh, in some interesting ways in books that are written for women. That when you, the warning is if you're talking about um, our menstrual cycles and the, the struggles as you know, the curse, the woman's curse, if you complain about um, you know, cramps and not feeling well because of your period, then you're bringing a curse onto your body and it'll keep you from being able to get pregnant and have a family. Uh, there is a, I don't have it in front of me, but there is a very popular women's ministry. And we talked about it on another podcast before Rachel was with us. Uh, it's called, it's the Rubies. Oh, one, do you above, above, above Rubies. Okay. Yeah. They talk about that exact thing. Debbie Pearl does too, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's does. kind of similar. And there's a vein of it there. You'll see these comments. And I'm just going to it's not the way that works. Right. They even the the um, above Ruby's lady even talks about how you can have these generational curses yes. because your right. great grandmother thought negatively about fertility and you are now just suffering the consequences of great grandmother. And I just have to say, if you step back for a minute and think about what what this is saying, what this is teaching about God and a God who would curse you and your descendants because your grandmother, you know, was said ugly things about having her period, right? Right. That would be, it's capricious, it's uh, vindictive, it's uh, cruel, and uh, it's completely contrary to what Scripture teaches about who God is and how much He loves us as His children. Even when we say things we shouldn't, and even when we believe things that we shouldn't, uh, you know, when we are, you know, being unkind, or we, you know, curse, or we uh, are harsh with other people, right? He still loves us and, and offers forgiveness. And he doesn't curse us in these ways, because of thoughtless words that we said or that our parents said, he's not out to get us. He is not looking for, oh, well, there you slipped up, so that's it. That's not the way he treats us. And I think it it does not paint God in who we know he is from Mm -hmm. Scripture. You end up seeing this angry grandfather up in the sky waiting to punish you. Well, it fits with, you know, very pagan ideas, right? Like Zeus was that kind of a god. Yes, that's true. 
and, you know, others in the, the various religions pantheon, you know, there are very vindictive because their gods have human characteristics and God is not like that. They're selfish. Right. And, yeah. And want to get out to get people, right? That's, that's the idea in a lot of the, the mythology. But, you know, our God loved us so much, loves us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, I think about that that verse a lot. I mean, sacrificed for us. That's how much he loved us. One of the ones that fits into this, and I know we've talked about it before, so we won't talk about it long, but it does fit into the same way of thinking, is Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I see this all the time, even in our circles. You know, if you raise your children right, they're going to stay in the faith. That's the promise from Proverbs, they will it's, say. It's, that's not what it it's says, It's used actually. in almost every type of homeschooling circle. All, the, it, all of it. Everyone uses it at some point. As long as you're teaching your kids right, then when they, they'll, they'll be Christians. And you know, if you do these right things, then they'll turn out well. And certainly as a, a general principle, Right. The way you raise your children is the way, what they will grow up to be. Right. That's, that's a general principle here. Right. That doesn't mean, and it certainly isn't promising that if you raise your kids in the church, they will stay in the church. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that if you teach your kids in the right schooling, either homeschooling or private schooling or whatever, then they will turn out the way you want them to. It's, it is not that kind of promise. Yeah, and remember, Proverbs is a wisdom book. Right. Uh, And, you know, I've seen this passage hurt so many Mm -hmm. people. And I think especially our ages, Rachel, and I'm sure many people in the church have known good parents that have had children that have strayed, turned from the faith. Um, And I've also seen not-so-good parents have kids that are faithful to the Lord. So, how a child, whether a child um, leaves the church or not, is not an automatic indication that the parents were good parents or bad parents. The reality is, even the very best parents in the entire world are still sinners, are not going to be perfect parents. And God is, God is still faithful. Um, I hold on to that, having been through this myself, that God is still faithful. Yes. And... You know, I, I look at my kids and I have to say that, that it's despite me that anything good happens with the way my children are turning out, right? Because I know I made, I've made mistakes. I know I haven't done everything the way God would have me do it, right? And I fail. And so, yes, we trust the Lord either direction, right? We trust the Lord that he will preserve our children in the faith for those who are confessing, uh, professing believers. And we, we trust that the Lord will uh, we pray that the Lord will bring our children to salvation for those who are not, right? That's, that's where we stand. Um, and, it, you know, it's interesting. I have heard people uh, talking about this verse, Proverbs 22, 6, and saying that the, the, the point of the verse is actually opposite of the way people are taking it, that the point of the verse is that if you leave a child to go his way, his own way, he will continue to go in that way, which is, a kind of interesting 
Um, so yeah, that the verse, the other interpretation I think is really fascinating on Proverbs 22. So oh, it can be seen as a warning passage that if you let children go the way they're going to go, way they go, then they will be set in that path. And sometimes I think when you're when you're trying to understand verses, one thing that that I do is is read from a variety mm-hmm. of people. Um, sometimes it just helps me to think through it a little bit more. I'll read. Uh, Calvin's commentary, I'll read Matthew Henry's commentary, I'll look for um, maybe uh, sermons from pastors that I trust. Because some, some verses are hard to work through. Of course. And some of them, like the Proverbs, they are extremely hard because there's not a lot of context. So you have to kind of look right. and see what other, I like to see what other commentaries have said um, in that way. Yeah, I was actually, now I forget which one, but I was reading... Um, Calvin's commentary on something this week, and it was totally different than anything I'd heard. That's interesting. So I have to find what that was. One of the things that, um, especially right now, there's a lot of prophecy stuff, and they'll try to put like the United States into it, and America is Israel, almost like we're the chosen nation. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, especially you know, we just came past the 4th of July, but also with, you know, a lot of the, um, pandemic and, um, in every election year, you get another kind of bump on it again of these verses. Yes. Um, and you know, we could certainly say here, there are, like you said, many who are trying to take various parts of revelation and apply it to things going on here or whatever. Um, I, I think it's, we should always be cautious about trying to apply uh, the prophecies to our, our current moment. Um, it's I mean, beyond saying that, you know, we're living in the end times, right? Which the scripture says we are since Christ's return or since Christ's uh, ascension. And so we're in and that he will come again. And that between now and then there are a variety of bad things and things to expect, right? That are, you know, wars or of wars, floods, earthquakes, these things will happen. Um, so I, I think we can speak pretty generally, but when we try to get very specific and say, yes, you know, that America is the exam is this particular, you know, passage and scripture, but um, there is a lot. And you're talking about like the Frank Freddie novels. There are a lot of books. Uh, you get the left behind series, you get, um, oh, there's whole, whole sets of, of popular literature that, um, you know, look at these passages in, in through America, in American current politics um, and current events. But there are some other verses in particular that get used. Um, so this one, and several people mentioned this one, Second Chronicles 7.14, which says, uh, My people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. So, how have you heard that? And they apply how this have you heard that right used? to America. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I see this, you know, if America would just turn back to its God, because it America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, and if they would just... Turn back to God, He will heal their land. That's how I've heard yep. it. I remember that more when I in the eighties, even with um, uh, 
the predictions that Christ was going to come right. back in 1988 right. and blah, blah, blah. Well, I, and that's this is one of the ones, and it does show up pretty routinely, I find, in election years, that if we would just repent and elect godly leaders, then God will forgive us as a nation and bless us, and yes. all the bad things that are happening would go right. And right now, of course, with the virus, that you know, that God would literally heal our land. Um, oh, yes, that's true. That's That's how it's being used but they even tie it i even see the reason why our i mean even with the virus right now the reason Mm. why our country is suffering is because we aren't turning from our sin because of homosexuality and abortion the virus is direct punishment for these things oh yeah we see that anytime a hurricane hits you know it's the same thing it's punishment for that either that area or that region or that you know state for xyz reasons or on the nation our whole nation um because we have abandoned and i would certainly say that you know abortion is 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 an evil it's a it's a terrible thing and i would love to see our nation um you know put it put an end to abortion in the united states because it's so horrible um and certainly you know we should as a nation we could very rightly repent of various ways that we are sinning but that's not the promise here that's not what what it's talking about that's not the purpose of this um you know we have to be very careful about taking especially promises made to the the physical nation of israel that existed at a particular time and apply it to any other nation um you know in second chronicles you have solomon has built um the temple and god comes and promises that you know if people if his people disobey then he will send certain um uh, plagues locusts etc and but if they humble themselves and repent then he will bless bless them again and so and he promises that they will um never lack um a man on David's throne, a king on David's throne. And of course, that promise is about Christ, right? And ultimately, the promise to heal the land, all of these promises are fulfilled in Christ and not um, not specifically for us as a nation. I, I see a lot, a lot of these promises to Israel mm-hmm. that were specifically to Israel. I mean, because we're, we're not doing that many here, but I see a lot of them where people make them about the United States and they think, I mean, there's some people that, you know, think that the United States is some sort of chosen land because look at how we prospered. And we were founded upon, um, you know, Christian values and blah, 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 where they almost make the United States this chosen nation like Israel. And we can be very thankful for the blessings that we have, the freedoms that we have as Americans. We can be um, thankful for, you know, the... um, the, uh, foundational principles of our nation and be thankful we can be glad for them uh, and speak speak well of them without uh, saying that we are the the chosen nation the 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 new israel um because that's not that's not what the scripture promises right Uh, well even i know this is a side note but even mormonism has Mm -hmm. some weird thing where Jesus came to the United States. I think the Garden of Eden is in Missouri or some crazy thing like that. I've been to Missouri, and it's a lovely place, but 
That's not where I would have <laughs> guessed. Put the Garden of mm-hmm. Eden. <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> Side note. Uh, been, no, yeah. no offense I've to those there that are living there. I, I would just, okay. Um, right. Yeah, I mean. I would have put it in like Yosemite myself. Well, and this is no, where if if the, the verse can only be applied to us today and it doesn't work for all Christians who are living at all times and all places, then it's not a good way to interpret it, right? So, you know, should the, the Christians of... Um, of South Korea, should they apply this passage to them, to their nation, or the Christians of China, or the Christians in in Africa or India, you know, anywhere else, you know, it it's it needs to be the passage needs to be understood in its original context, and then we can see the fulfillment through Christ. And through Christ, all the blessings are for us as his children, but again, understood correctly between the blessings that we have now and the blessings that we'll have in the future. Yeah, uh, Psalm thirty-three, twelve is another mm-hmm. one um, that you hear, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Again, people apply this to America like we are some special God-chosen nation. Um, yeah. Anyways, I, I've seen this one, right. which is really kind of disturbing. Can we say that God has given our nation blessings? Well, sure. I mean, we have been able to. Absolutely. Various things have been blessings. Have we been also faced with challenges? Absolutely. Um, it, it is It is really not um, for us to say that we are Israel uh, as, as a physical nation. America is not Israel. Um, the church, God's people, um, the the church universal and invisible, you know, these are God's people. But that connects us to people all over the world, not particularly here in the U.S. And one of the things that um, has happened because of Theology Gals is I've gotten to know Christians from around the world. Um, you know, you might be surprised, like, Japan is in our top ten countries that listen to us uh and kenya is also and germany i think is too and but we also have listeners in kazakhstan and ukraine with faithful christians all over the world that are seeking to live lives of obedience to the lord because of christ's death and they're suffering a lot uh if there's there's even faithful christians who are suffering beyond what any of us can imagine in North Korea. Um, you know, they can be sent to a, a, one of their work camps, which they could be tortured, even killed for even having a Bible. Yeah. And sometimes I think we have such a narrow focus in the United States where everything is about us. Yeah. Results in these sorts of, weird teachings. And that was my encouragement about when we're looking at promises, we need to make sure that they they apply equally to all believers of all times. You know, how how would the Christians in the early church being persecuted by Rome, how would they have understood these passages? That that I think is is a really good encouragement. So, one of the things that uh, we have already talked about this a lot, how some of the verses regarding men and women in the church are misunderstood. 
Rachel talks about that in her book. Amy talks about that in her book, books. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they're still just, I, I almost feel like some people get out their Bibles and when they get to those verses, they put a magnifying glass or put those ones in bold type or something. Like that is the point of scripture, most important, without fully understanding the context. First uh, Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 is one of them. One passage, uh, the women are to keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Okay, this passage had a context. Yeah, it, and it is. This one's used a lot. And the the most common way I see it is that the verses start at women are to keep silent, and then they just stop there. And it's used to, to and you know, it's not even used to say uh, that women should or shouldn't be ordained. Like it's, it, that argument is part of what it can be used for. But most often where I see this is a woman who is speaking or writing like Amy or myself or you know, us on the podcast. So we're speaking in or writing in a public way, not as ordained leaders, but just speaking on theology. And this is used to say that we should not be doing so because men might learn from us. And we are, uh, as Paul says, we are not permitted to speak. It's improper to speak. And there are certainly churches that use this passage to say that women can never speak in, in church and should, like, even if there's like a business meeting or a congregational meeting, that if a woman has a question, she has to like give it to her husband and he asks it um, because women aren't. There are churches that yes, do that. Right. Since women shouldn't be speaking in church. And, you know, that's, that is not, that is not what this verse is about. This is not the purpose. It's not the intent because it has to be taken again in both in context, but it also in scripture interpreting scripture. So Paul talks in other places about women praying and prophesying in church, and that's speech, right? And so there's something there that Paul is saying women should not do here, and there's something else where Paul is saying that women should do, and strict silence where women don't speak within the confines of the church is not what Paul is getting at. You see that in in a number of the New Testament books from Paul, the letters where he's talking to uh, the churches about everything being done in in good order, decency and good order, and um, without the confusion, without uh, chaos. Right? He's he's concerned about how the church will look to outsiders, and there are a lot of things going on, and they're they're setting up new ideas in the sense of. You know, what, what is church? What does it look like? How are we going to, how do we meet? How do we talk about these things? What's the proper way? And for what he was concerned about, he was telling the women, and it may here in this, this context, you know, it is with the interpretation of, um, tongues and prophecy. Um, it, it's, he is telling the, the women to be, um, to behave well in public in a way that doesn't dishonor their husbands and doesn't dishonor the church. Well, the the chapter actually ends with, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. And so, you know, it's, it's possible that there was interrupting of the servants to ask their questions or. But when we're looking at it and how it's being used right now, and especially in being used to try to silence women who are speaking on theology, 
we have plenty of places where women were learning and listening and speaking, right, in a way that was not inappropriate. Um, and Priscilla, um, with her husband Aquila, teach Apollos and correct him. Uh, so it was not wrong for her to speak on theology in a way that a man learned from her. Um, we have other women uh, throughout Scripture. You have the, uh, the 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 seven daughters of Philip who are who prophetesses in the New Testament. Um, there are a number of ways in which women were speaking the word, and it was not wrong for them to do so. Well, and some people take this to almost an extreme, like. Women just need to be home and not be speaking almost anywhere. I mean, that crazy quote that somebody was passing around that women should should be home and shouldn't be seen by much more than their relations. And Ah, yes. Oh, I saw this week on Twitter, uh, some, some guys, oh, Twitter. Mm, yes, Twitter, <laughs> some guys telling uh, women who were speaking about theology and about these ideas that they should be silent and go home. Oh, yes, I saw that, too. Well, I've seen, you know, I I give credit to these guys for at least being consistent, Mm -hmm. that they won't even interact on theological matters with women on Facebook. Right. I I have um, considered writing for my blog, you know, warning this blog is written by a woman, woman, right? Um, (laughs) You might learn something. Be careful. Yeah. And Amy talked about, if you listen to our first episode with her, I'll link it in in the episode notes, because uh, we talked a little bit about this. I don't know if it was this passage specifically, but uh, we talked about the context of some of the verses uh, regarding women. It was about her book, um, No Little Women, and the importance of understanding those things. Because I remember her, I just remember her saying on that episode, that's silly that a man would never learn from a a Mm. woman. And that's true. In my everyday conversations with my husband, you know, hey, honey, I was reading Romans today and I was reading this passage and thinking through it. And, you know, and I thought about this and he says, oh, that's a really great point. You know, he just learned something from me. Exactly. You know, so it's just kind of it gets a little bit. I can't even imagine I'd have to like really barely speak and. I don't think my husband would no. like that. He likes talking to me about these things and learning from Certainly. me. And I like learning from him. You know, really the other the other women in the church passages, a lot of the same things we've we've talked about before about um submission and marriage and what it means to be um you know, a godly woman, what you know, Titus two, first Timothy two, Proverbs thirty one. Um you know, I don't feel like we need to, to rehash them all here, but I think the, the big one right now that would be one that we're hearing a lot used out of context is the women keeping silent. Although the, the first Timothy two about being a keeper at home, that's, that's the other part of that. So to be silent and to be at home. Um, yeah, I, I, I almost wanted to say in response to the Twitter things like jokes on you, I am at home. Um, so we are right. I mean, we are. Yep. <laughs> I, I have to say, on on that right there, my favorite resource is your book. And we've talked about this so much before, so I'm not going to say it a lot. But some people argue the keeper at home uh, is to, it, it, that a woman is to be a stay-at-home mom only. And, you know, 
and my mom, I've learned so much from her, but in talking to her about this through the years, my mom uh, was a missionary kid in Venezuela. She then was a single missionary in, um, which of course some people would take issue with, but there's things that need to be done on the mission field here. Um, but a single missionary in Zaire, well, it's now Republic of Congo. And, you know, she laughed and said, oh, the women of Zaire would have laughed at a woman just staying home all day because they want their children to eat. And, you know, they're, they're not home much at all during the day. And she's listing everything that they do. But Rachel does a good job in talking about how the family works together for the good of the family. And we do, um, we walk in wisdom Mm -hmm. in making those decisions. Rachel and I are both very grateful that we've been able to stay home with our kids. Um, it, it has been a blessing and I'm, I'm so grateful that isn't possible for everybody. And it doesn't mean they're sinning if they are unable or choose differently than to stay home. Exactly. Um, they are decisions that, as we've said before, that couples should make together about what works best for them and their family and how God has blessed them and is providing for them in this season of life. And, you know, there's so, there's so many different things to consider. Again, I think we look at this in such an American mm-hmm. way, as we do a lot of things. Well, a post-industrial revolution, um, revolution America. Yeah. Yes, this, this is true, too. And, you know, I've, I've talked about this before, but my, my grandmother growing up in the Depression, she started um, going down the road at nine years old to make pie crust for a neighbor farm lady so that they could feed the farm help. And, you know, so there's just uh, a, lot of, a lot of things to consider. You know, I have a friend who was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And her husband got um, an injury. He's unable to work. And now he stays home while she goes and works. But they have to do what is necessary and good for their family. So, anyways, read read Rachel's (laughs) book because she talks about it all. So, Rachel Rachel and I have so many verses that we're only halfway through. So, what we're going to do is um, stop this right now and... And then we're going to continue this next week. Let me just give you a preview of uh, some of the ones we have next week. Because some of the ones we have next week are really common. I see them a lot out there. So we're going to talk about promises and blessings out of context. Things like, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Just, you know, things like that. Or we all see Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, that, that verse. Um, and then we're going to uh, talk about verses that are used to prove work salvation, kind of fit with Arminianism. But some of these two, I am transported back to my Wesleyan holiness Bible college days. I was I never bought into it. I just, long story, ended up at a Wesleyan holiness Bible college and became a Calvinist. <laughs> um, and then we just have some basic, uh, just kind of odds and ends verses that don't fit as well into a category that that we're going to go over. And, you know, if you have one that you're dying for us to address, feel free to email us or reach out in the group or something like that. We, it might already be on our list because we, Rachel asked both on Twitter and in the group, and we got a huge response. Yep. So, um, 
so we're going to continue this next week. Um, this is kind of fun going through and, and doing these and thinking through these. Uh, some of these I haven't really dealt with as much, but I know a lot of other people have. So, Well, thanks for joining us. We'll do part two next week.